Morning, everybody. Nice to see you today. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. That's very kind of you. No, it is. That's very kind of you. That's cool. And uh, I want to say good morning to our friends who are over in the family room today. Nice to see you guys over there. Yeah, nice little hand for our friends in the family room. If you're, if you're in, this, in this auditorium, you don't know, we have another gathering of people right across the way in the block, and we call that little gathering the family room. And uh, it's just a beautiful place for people to worship in a different environment than this one. So glad you guys are here today. Thank you. Uh, Let's see, so we're going to look into Scripture together today, and we're going to continue the series that we started last weekend. But before we get to that, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And so Jim, why don't you come up? This is Jim Culp, and uh, right over here in the front row is his wife, Annie. So I want you to welcome both of them, though you haven't met them yet. So Jim and Annie, in my perspective of people and how life works is, these guys are heroes because they started a church. Yeah, and I, anybody who starts a church is a hero. That's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know what it takes to do that, right? And so um, about 14 or 15 years ago, they started Orchard Church in Chico, and it's thrived. They've done a fantastic job of serving the people in that community. And yet over the last, I don't know, season, I'll say season, uh, the Lord has been moving them from Chico to another ministry in Mexico. And a lot of us, of course, have a, have a passion for Mexico. Some of us have gone to Mexico and built homes uh, together in, in our teams and been partners with people down there. And so I thought before they go out this next summer, it'd be a good chance for us to get to meet them because we want to partner with them in the things that God is calling them to do down there. Okay? So, uh, Jim, thanks for being here. Yeah. Annie, thanks for being here. And uh, let's just start. Tell us a little bit about what the journey is like when God moves you out of what you're doing and says, go to a different country and serve me there. Yeah, you know, we weren't looking at all. We love uh, where God has had us the last uh, 14 years. And uh, four years ago or so, we just wanted to take a vacation. And uh, we wanted a beach, and we wanted affordable. And so uh, we found Mexico. And so that that sounded like a great opportunity for us. And about the same time that we were uh, starting to look for uh, a place to go, uh, my kids came up to, uh, to us. My kids now are 18, 15-year-old boys and then a 12-year-old girl. And they said, hey, what is Lent? Our, our Catholic friends do Lent. Why don't we know about that? And that great pastor's kids, well, you know, what a horrible dad. Lent. Why don't you know about that? <laughs> and uh, so I said, that's it. We're doing it today. We're starting right now. And so, uh, so we did Lent, and I pulled this book off the shelf called... Uh, a Place at the Table, 40 Days of Solidarity with the Poor uh, by Chris Say, and we started to go through that book. And one of the things it says right at the beginning is it says identify with a people group around the world, people group in poverty, and, and, uh, and pray w- for them through this time. And that sounded great. Let's do that with Mexico. And I said, let's take it even a step further, and let's, uh, let's maybe eat like a Mexican family does for the next 40 days. And I found out that uh, a typical Mexican family uh, eats on uh, $10 a day. Per person? No, for the whole family. And so for 40 days, we ate on $10 a day. And, and that meant if I went to uh, Starbucks and spent you know, more than 3 bucks on a cup of coffee, uh, then the rest of the family only had uh, 7 bucks for the day. But luckily, my daughter, she didn't care if she ate you, some days. You, you can't get out of Starbucks for 3 bucks. That's, that's true. Uh, six bucks and, uh, and that none of the kids ate. And so, uh, but, but as we did that, God just really began to capture our heart. And, uh, by the time we went on what we thought was just going to be a vacation, 
uh, it had turned into this work of God. We had saved up some money. Uh, when are you eating on 10 bucks a day? Who knows? You save money. And, uh, and we took that and we invested it into a couple of ministries that we had found while we were down there. And God captured our heart and we said, uh, we'll never not come back here. And so it began this partnership, this journey uh, that God has moved us through the last few years. Wow, that's cool. So tell us about what will you be doing? You've got, you're moving there with a plan. Mm-hmm. What will that look like? Yeah, so uh, we're going with World Venture, a missions organization um, that we love to be part of. And, and uh, we'll be the country directors for Mexico. And uh, so we'll get to oversee work all over the country as, as that expands. Uh, but our primary focus is going to be in North Mexico, uh, working with young church leaders. Uh, the uh, church in Mexico is just influxed with these young leaders that have grown up in, in Christ-centered orphanages and then are being poured into the local church. We want to go to local pastors and say, how do we help you develop the next generation of leaders, the next generation of, of church planters? And so we're partnering with Western Seminary to do a mobile uh, seminary program where we'll go into churches and we'll help them develop and train leaders to, uh, to go and pastor churches and start new churches in Mexico. Beautiful. So we uh, have a heart for Mexico, for one. We also have a heart for leadership development. We host the Leadership Summit here every summer. Uh, what do you see for uh, churches like Lakeside to be able to be partners with you in this? Yeah, so first, I think if you could bring Bill Hybels, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. I'll, no. I'll work on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what? We need people who are going to pray. And, uh, and so... Uh, we would love for you on your way to the gingerbread house to come and pick up one of our cards and, and just find out how to pray for us. Uh, we, this is a new thing. It's scary to kind of leave everything you know and go into a new culture. And, and so we need lots of people who are going to partner and pray with us. Uh, we also are really looking forward to you guys partnering with us and, and sending teams. And so uh, that can look a couple different ways. If you want to continue to build, we want to see new churches built. And so that can be an opportunity uh, but we really want to place a high value in leadership development. And so we want to see churches like Lakeside send teams of leaders that can come and, and host a week of the seminary classes and pour into local pastors and help elevate the, the leadership level of the church there in Mexico. Uh, and finally, we're about 80% funded. And so we're, we're in the home stretch. And uh, we figured we need about 16 more people to uh, partner with us financially. Uh, at $50 to $100 a month, and, and we're there. And so um, God's been so faithful to bring us this far, and, and uh, we're in the home stretch and excited to get there and start serving. Yeah. Awesome. So these guys are going to be out in the lobby when we get done with our gathering today. If you guys are in the family room, you're welcome to come over and meet them. Uh, you guys here in this room, I'd love you to go out and meet them when we get done and just get connected and find out what they're, a little bit more of what they're up to and maybe how it connects with you and your heart and what God's doing in your own heart. That would be great. So before you go down, let's just, let me pray for you, okay? All right. Father in heaven, thanks very much for Jim and for Annie and for their kids and for the things you're doing in their heart to steer them toward this work in Mexico. How great to take a whole young generation of people and to raise them up, train them up to be leaders for your church's sake, to be able to lead in your kingdom. Lord, that's a great thing. So thank you for them. I pray you'll bless them. I pray you'll open doors for them. I pray you'll provide the resources that they need to make this happen. I pray for us as a church that we would have uh, some capacity to be partners with them uh, so that we would also be able to have the blessing of, of serving there in northern Mexico and, and connecting with people and uh, advancing your kingdom there. 
Lord, keep your hand on them. Bless them. Thank you that they're here with us this weekend. But as they, as they prepare to close out things in Chico and move to Mexico, keep your hand on them and walk with them all the way along. Lord, thank you. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, we are going to continue on in the series we started last weekend. Uh, we are talking these days about uh, a prophecy that came in the Old Testament by the prophet Isaiah. He made this statement. He said, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. All people will see it together. That prophecy came 800 years before Christ came and 800 years before this man named John the Baptist came. And John the Baptist fulfilled that prophecy. He was the one, he was the voice out in the wilderness. He was kind of the wild-haired, wild-eyed prophet out in the wilderness saying to everybody, repent, you brood of snakes, what's wrong with you? you know, and everyone, everyone was so intrigued by this guy that they came down to the River Jordan to watch him and to see what he was doing and to, and to figure out what was going on down there. And one of the things that John was trying to get people to do was change their thinking. The, whole, the word repent, which we saw last week, which, by the way, if you, have, if you weren't here last week and you missed that beginning of this series, get online, check out the podcast, get kind of caught up to speed because it'll help you with today and next weekend, if you know what we talked about last weekend. But he said, I I want you to get to a spot where you change your landscape. And the only way to change your landscape, to raise the valleys, to bring down the mountains uh, around you, the only way to do that is by changing your thinking. So we're in that process today. We're, We're in a journey trying to say, how do I clear the way for the Messiah in my life? How do I clear the way for the Lord in my life? And we're going to change the landscape to do that. We're going, to, we're going to raise up the valleys, the low spots in our life. We're going to bring down the mountains, which are obstacles in our lives that keep Jesus far from us. I, a lot of you know, I moved, Donna and I moved into a different house last spring. And uh, turned out the house was a lot more of a fixer-upper than I thought it was. You know, I thought mop the floor, vacuum a little bit, carpet, and you're good. That's not how it went. So it took a lot of focus in this house. Well, the house that we bought had been in probate because the people that owned it had died. And so kind of a funky situation, funky transition, and some other people inherited it. And they didn't want to manage the house in the, in the transition period, and so they shut the water off to the landscape. Which, you know, it's okay, it's drought, and so you don't want to waste water and, you know, all that stuff. But they shut it off. So when we moved in, it was desertscape. And then, you know, we moved in like the last day of May, and then we're going right into summer, and the drought's getting worse and worse, and so, you know, who wants to turn the water on in the yard right now? So we just left it off. Now it's moonscape. You know, it's just like, oh, it's terrible, and I don't like having a yucky yard. That's just not fun. So um, I, I just saw, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redesign this whole thing. It's like, it's like just fresh. You can start completely from the ground up. It's like, this is going to be beautiful. And I don't, I'm not a landscape architect or a landscape designer, so I don't know how this stuff is done, but I found the old blueprints for the yard. You know, when they first built the place, they had, like, architectural designs for the yard. I'm like, this is great. So I pulled it out, like, yeah, but I like this, but I don't like that. And so I pulled out some graph paper and got real nerdy, and I, you know, drew my house in the middle, and I drew the front yard and the backyard, and I planted plants. And it's like, this is going to be fantastic. 
my yard is going to be fantastic. Except then when I looked at it, I'm like, who's going to do all this? That's a lot of work on that little graph paper right there. Who's going who's to make this happen? And it got overwhelming. I'm like, I, I know everything I want to do, but I don't know how I'm possibly going to get started and make this thing happen. So my son was home during the Thanksgiving holiday week, and I'm, I'm showing him. You know, I'm all excited. Like, look at my plan, Bryce. This is so cool. It's great. And he goes, yeah, Dad, that's a good plan. He goes, how are you going to do it? I, 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 I have no idea. He goes, why don't, you just, why don't you just break it into sections and do it one section at a time? Smart boy. So I did. So I, I got my graph paper. I numbered it all up. You know, here's section one, two. I got it all numbered. I got like 10 sections I got to do over the next year or something like that. And I'm gonna, then I'm going to have this beautiful landscape. I had to change my thinking about my plan. And I think that's what John the Baptist calls us to when he said, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. He says, I want you to repent and make room for him. He said, I want you to change your thinking so you can change the landscape. How's the landscape in our world today? It's a mess. It's a desert scape. And how is that going to change? It will only change when those who want to follow Christ change their thinking about him. See, we think that we can come to Christ and just add him into everything else that we do. And we've got this whole life, and then we add Jesus in, and now it's just a, another part of it. But John says, unless you change your thinking, you will never change the landscape. In this world or in this world. And so that's what we're talking about when we come to scriptures this weekend, still, and next weekend. See, there are roadblocks that get in the way of us changing the landscape. And a lot of times we don't see the roadblocks. They're sort of invisible force fields. We don't know they're there. We just run into them. We keep running into them and running into them. And we don't know what's wrong with our journey. And I want you to see a story today that will show, it will show up. It'll expose some things that are roadblocks in our lives that keep us from making progress with Christ, keep us uh, from clearing the path for him into our lives and into our world. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you today, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some on the chair next to you. You can use your smartphone and follow along in the YouVersion app or another Bible app. Or you can just listen if you like, that's fine. But let me read for you a story in Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 18. Here's how Luke writes it. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let's stop there. 
this young ruler comes to Jesus. And I don't know what he ruled. I don't know what he was in charge of. He was just in charge of something. The word could mean leader. He was a a young leader of others in some capacity. And he comes to Jesus, highly respectful. He comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. Let's just start with that. Good teacher. And then he asks this question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, who never makes it easy. Have you noticed this? You know, people come to him, they ask a question, he answers their question with a question. He's like, he never makes it easy. It's like, just, just once, Jesus, just make it easy. No, you know, it's not, it's not easy. So he goes, he goes, why do you call me good? He ignores his question about inheriting eternal life. He goes, why do you call me good? What are you thinking about that? He goes, there's only one who's good, and that's God. Interesting, the word that he used for good is the Greek word agathos. It's the word from which we get our name, agatha. It means good in the sense of generosity. This man comes to Jesus and he says, you're a generous teacher. Help me out. And Jesus says, oh, okay, but understand this. Before we ever get to your question, understand this. Only God is good in the sense of generous. Only God is generous. And you go, no, I know a lot of people that are generous. Yeah, but understand this about God. His, the, the intensity of his generosity, the amount of his generosity is so far above ours that it makes the most generous among us look like stingy people. Only God is good. Wow, remember when John the Baptist came and he said, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Change your thinking so that you change the landscape. He said, let me give you four ways to do this. Practice Generosity. And practice integrity and justice and contentment. But it all starts with generosity. Start there. Yeah, but only God is good. Only God is generous. Well, if you want to practice generosity, you're going to have to learn from God. So Jesus goes off on this little tangent. Then he comes back to the man's question. He goes, oh, you want to inherit? You want to know what it takes, what you have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do you know the commandments? Which commandments, how, which commandments are we talking about? How many are there? Ten. ten. Oh, the big ten. Yeah, there's ten. And they're divided in sort of in half. There's four and six. So the first four talk about loving God. And Jesus skips right over those. Doesn't even mention them. I'm like, wait, you're talking about eternal life with God? Shouldn't you talk about the commandments and talk about God? He skips right over those. Why? I think because he wants to change your thinking. Because you'll never change the landscape. You'll never get rid of the roadblocks and barriers if you don't change your thinking. He skips right over the first four that talk about loving God. And he lands on some of the last six, which all talk about loving others, about loving our neighbor. And he he gives five of the last six, he says, and he gets them out of order. I'm like, Jesus, did you not go to Sunday school? He says, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, don't steal, don't lie, and honor your father and mother. And all of you who are parents know that honor your father and mother comes first. He saves that for last. But he, you know, he includes it. So he gives, he gives them these five. And this young ruler goes, I've kept all of those since I was a child. And he's getting excited. He's like, oh, I've got it dialed in. I've kept all those things. And then Jesus goes, one thing you lack Go sell everything you have. That's it? That's one, that's one thing? He says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, 
and come follow me. Jesus had skipped over that command. That was, that was number 10. That was number six out of the last six, and he skipped that one. That's that don't covet thing. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And the man went away very sad. Which is disturbing to me. I mean, how do, you, how do you walk away from Jesus very sad? And then Luke makes a comment about it. Luke says, he went away very sad because he was very rich. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me either. Who do you know who's very rich, who's very sad? Because most of your thing is like, if I was very rich, I would never be very sad. I don't know, because I'm not very rich. How many of you are very rich? Uh, two. Oh, I taught you you are. Thank you for coming back. That's awesome. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's, but see, you're the only two that learned at that time, so I'm psych, I'm recycling. <laughs> you're slow. I, well, so am I. I, tell, I trust me. Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't think we know what it's like to be very rich, but Jesus, Jesus gives this guy, he goes, I need to, again, I need to help you uh, clear a path in your life. You got roadblocks in following me. Jesus said, look, come follow me. That was an invitation from Jesus to this man. Come follow me. But there was a roadblock. So he said, let me clear the roadblock out first. First, you lack this thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then come follow me. There are roadblocks that keep us from clearing the way for Jesus. There are roadblocks in our pursuit of Jesus. And in this story, a couple of them pop out to us. And I want to help us clear these roadblocks out. So let's just take a couple of minutes and look at the roadblocks that show up in this story and then see what we learn from it. Roadblock number one, if you want to clear a way for Jesus to come into your life, if you want to clear the way for Jesus to come into your world, roadblock number one is we are rich and we don't know it. We are rich. And we don't know it. We don't acknowledge it. It's so, weird in our, it's so weird in our culture. That we are surrounded by rich people. And nobody wants to say so. Nobody wants to acknowledge it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not rich. Are you rich? No, I'm not rich. I'm not, no, don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. We're, we're surrounded by rich people, but we don't talk about it. I think it's confusing for us because you look around, you, you look around all these rich people. You look at the cars they drive and the stuff they wear and the bling they have. You know, you look at all that stuff, you go, wow, they look rich. But they don't say they're rich, so I must not be rich either because I don't have as much as they have. It's such a, it's such a confusing thing. I don't, know, I don't know if we are reluctant to acknowledge that we're rich because we know that richness, that riches come with responsibility. Wealth comes with responsibility. So we don't want to acknowledge that we're rich. We are rich, but we don't know it. And it becomes a roadblock in our journey with Christ, in our pursuit of Christ. So... We need a diagnostic test. Like Jesus gave this man a diagnostic test. He said, sell everything and, and then follow me. And that showed up what was in the man's heart. Now, I don't, I don't think that's the diagnostic test that Jesus gives to us. 
It might be the one that he gives to some of us. I'm not sure. But that's not what Jesus said to every single person that he came across. That wasn't like the rule for getting into heaven. Hey, if you want to go to heaven, you got to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow Jesus. He didn't say that over and over and over. He said to this one guy because he knew in this one guy's heart there was something that was going to be a roadblock to him. And if Jesus didn't help him clear it out, he'd never come to Jesus. He'd never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he gave him this diagnostic that showed up what was in his heart. And when the man saw what was in his heart, he went away sad because he didn't want to change it. He didn't want to change his thinking so he could change his landscape. Here's the diagnostic test for us, I believe, in this topic. I'm rich, but I don't know it. Well, how would I know if I was rich? Do this diagnostic test. Ask this question of yourself. Do I have choices? Do I have choices? Do I get to make decisions? Do I have options in the world and I get to make decisions about them? See, because if you have options, if you have choices, if you have opportunity to make decisions, that's a sign that you're rich. What was it? Okay, I'm going to see if you're paying attention. What was the series we did before this series? Like last month, what were we talking about? Wise decisions. Thank you very much. One of you was listening yeah, we were talking about wise decisions. We talked about the deciding factor. We talked about, hey, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know the specifics of, of God's will for my life and those kinds of things. And I realized as I got this, these series, back-to-back series planned last summer, and I'm thinking them through as I was studying last summer, and I knew they were coming back-to-back. I didn't plan them this way for this purpose, but then I realized, oh, these are coming back-to-back. I realized decision-making is the prerogative of the rich, Decision-making is the playground of the rich. It is the rich who get to make decisions. It is rich Christians who ask, what is God's specific will for my life? Because poor Christians don't have the privilege to ask that question. They just keep doing the next thing that they have to do. So those of us who have an abundance of resources get, that get to say, well, I wonder what I could do. So I, I kind of laid it out this way in terms of my own thinking for this. I said, if I get to decide which game to watch today, I'm rich. If I get to decide which make and model of car to purchase, I'm rich. If I get to decide to purchase a car, I'm rich. If I get to decide which pair of shoes to buy, or if I get to decide to buy both pairs of shoes, I'm rich. If I get to decide what to do for a living or what to have for dinner, I'm rich. If I get to decide which college to attend or if I get to decide to go to college, I'm rich. If I get to decide which job offer to accept, I'm rich. If I get to decide which room my eldest child will occupy, I'm rich. If I get to decide which car to take on vacation, I'm rich. If I get to decide which credit card to use for this particular purchase, I'm rich. And it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's not sin. It's not a crime. It's just true. If I have money saved for retirement, 
I'm rich. If I get to think about making a decision on how much money I should save for retirement, I'm rich. If I don't have enough money saved for retirement, I'm rich. Because poor people aren't asking about retirement. If I don't have to pray for my daily bread, I'm rich. You know the Lord's Prayer, right? We don't, lot, some churches like say it together. We don't really say it together very often, but I, I pray through the Lord's Prayer often in my own devotional time in my home or when I'm praying in my office, I often use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for my prayer time. And so I love praying the first part of that prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May, may you be holy, holy, holy in this world. May, may I honor you as holy in this world. And Father, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that part of the prayer. And, th- and that's all the first half. It all, again, it's like the commandments. It, it all deals with God first. And then the next part of the prayer deals with human stuff. And it starts with this prayer request. Give us this day our daily bread. And frankly, I have had turmoil in my heart about that prayer request for a long time. I didn't know why until this week. Every time I got to that part, I just felt gunky. That's the technical term for it. I just, I'm like, I, why do I feel awkward praying that prayer? It's because in my house, in my freezer is all already enough food for the next two weeks. I get paid every other week. I got enough food in my house from this paycheck to that paycheck. I don't have to ask for my daily bread. I got it all wrapped up in the freezer. I have a freezer. I'm rich. And I realize, I come to that prayer, I don't, I don't know how to pray that with integrity. Because it's not really a need that I have. Again, that's not a crime, that's not wrong, that's just true. So when you come to that, and that roadblock, that roadblock of not knowing that we're rich, it keeps us, it's a mountain in our way that keeps us from Jesus How do I knock that thing down? How do I change that landscape? It changes when I acknowledge that I'm rich. In fact, not only, I would say not only acknowledge that I'm rich, but celebrate that I'm rich. Again, if it's not a crime, why not celebrate it? But acknowledge it. When I acknowledge it, that's what happened with this young man. He had to acknowledge it. When he acknowledged it, he wanted to walk away because he didn't want to let go of it. But if I'm ever going to get over that roadblock, I've got to acknowledge that I'm already rich. Now, I, let me put a caveat on this. Some of you have probably lost your job recently. I don't know. I mean, I'm hearing less of that uh, as our economy is picked up. I'm hearing less of that among us these days. But some of you may be without a job and you go, man, I, I'm not rich. I get that. I'm not speaking to you. But most of us, if you live in this culture, you, you're able to be in this room, we're rich. Like I taught you. Like I'll teach you again maybe next year. We're rich because we've got to get past this roadblock of being rich and not knowing it. That's the first one. Do you have enough space in your heart for one more? Let me give you one more roadblock that gets in our way. Roadblock number two is we love money, but we don't know it. 
When I got to this one this week, this one felt bad to me. It's like, what? I don't love money. And then I started reading scriptures. I read, like, for example, I read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, it says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I'm like, yeah, I know it. There's people that are so greedy and they love money so much and they want it so much and they do everything they can to get it and to get more of it and they love money. I go, but that's not me. Whew. I don't love money. I'm a pastor. <laughs> then I read Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That sounds a lot like John the Baptist. Practice contentment. Practice generosity. He goes, keep yourself free from the love of money. I go, no problem. I don't love money. There's a diagnostic test for whether you do or not. It's so hard for us to figure out if we love money or not. There's a diagnostic test for it. It comes right out of the Bible. The diagnostic test is this, this question. Ask, ask yourself this question. Do I have enough? Do I have enough? See, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. There's a diagnostic test. How do I know if I love money? Well, do you have enough? No. Well, then you love money. That's just what, that's what Solomon says. That's the wisest man in the world. That's just how he lays it out. It's not, it's not a trick question. It's not a mystery. Do you have enough? No. Well, then you love money. That hit me right in this region this week. I don't know what I'm going to do about it. It's a roadblock between Jesus and me. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. And because, and because people like me love money, we go, yes, I can. We think we know more than Jesus. We're like, sure, I can. I, can. I can let that love of money be in my heart, and I can let the love of Jesus be in my heart at the same time. Jesus said, no, you can't. The challenge with Loving money is we don't see it in ourselves very well. We are pretty clear that we see it in other people. But we don't see it in ourselves very well. So take the diagnostic test. Do I have enough? Or maybe I can put that in a little bit different format for you. Some of you guys, are you into the um, Hunger Games the, the movie, The Hunger Games, right? So Mockingjay Part 2 just came out. I'm not going to give you the ending in case you haven't seen it yet. I know it's pretty recently out. but um, So I won't give you the ending, but I love that whole series. It's so, it's so fascinating. It's so interesting. All the stuff that goes on in that and how much of a commentary on our world it is. It's just fascinating. Well, there's these two characters in there. One is, one is known as Katniss Everdeen. She's the hero of the story. She's the star of the show. She's amazing. Everyone loves her. She's amazing. And uh, so she's in it. And then there's this other guy who they get thrown into the games together, and his name is Peta. And Peta's head over heels for Katniss, and she's not so much for him, but, you know, it, 
I, I won't tell you how it goes. But anyway, they're, they're kind of thrown together, right? And in the course of the story, Peter gets kidnapped by the evil government and they brainwash him. Tragically, terribly brainwash him so that when they finally release him and send him back to his friends, he is so messed up. He says, I don't know what's real and what's not real. And he's got all this turmoil and angst and anxiety and, and, uh, and anger and all this stuff that's going on in his soul. And finally, he says to his friends who he is with, he says, I don't know what's real and what's not real. Not know what's real and what's not real. So, Peter says to his comrades he says I, I, I don't know what's real and what's not real I'm sorry but I just don't know and they said well then ask us we'll help you ask us we'll tell you so the rest of the story he he, he asks every now and then you know I, I, it, it, he makes a statement like this this thing and then he goes real or not real and this thing real or not real and finally he gets to Katniss at one point in the story and he, and he says to her Katniss you love me real or not real I thought, that's a great line. I used it on my wife as we walked out of the theater. <laughs> We're walking through the lobby, right? Donna, you love me, real or not real? <laughs> it's fantastic, because she, she didn't hiccup or anything. She goes, real. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. But I wanted to check it out again. So by the time we got to the curb, I said it again. I said, hey, Donna, you love me, real or not real? Took her longer the second time. She goes, real. I think I asked her once more before we got to the car. She said, don't ask that again, Bubba. <laughs> okay. But it's a good question. When it comes to money, I love money, real or not real. Yeah, but that's hard to answer. I'm greedy. Real or not real? No, nobody thinks they're greedy. That's, that's not easy to answer. How about this? I have enough. Real or not real? And if you come to the place in your life where you can say, I have enough, then you'll be in the path of being able to clear away for Jesus so that you practice generosity. Generosity changes the world and generosity changes your own heart and if you get to the place where you can say i have enough it doesn't mean you'll never acquire another thing in the course of your life there's all kinds of other stuff we'll talk about next week with this but if you can get to the spot in your life where you say i have enough then generosity becomes way easier for you in fact generosity becomes possible for you but if you end up answering the question like i did I have enough, real or not real. And he's going, not real. I don't have enough yet. Then my prayer is that you will take that diagnostic tool, that diagnostic question, and walk it through in your life with Jesus this week. Come to the place where at least the roadblock is removed that you can, you can say, 
instead of saying, I love money, but I don't know it, you would be able to transition to say, I love money, and I know it. That is the first step in clearing the way. Next weekend, we're going to look at two really practical ways to address this issue. But this weekend, I just want you to do, this week, I just want you to do these two diagnostic tests, tests. And ask yourself the question that comes with them. Do I have enough? Or I have enough, real or not real? And see what the Lord begins to do in your heart. Father in heaven, I pray for us today. Uh, This topic is hard for us, I think. And I just want to pray for us today that you would unlock the door for us. I know you call us to clear a path for you, but I'm asking, too, that you would clear a path for us. Because those of us who find that we love money know how tightly it grips us. And, Lord, generosity is the activity of an open hand, an open grip. And that's what we desire So, Lord, we yield ourselves to you. We come to you as worshipers. Uh, Most of us come to you as believers in you. We want to clear the way. So do whatever it takes in our lives to clear the way today. And we will join with you in that process. That's our desire. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Amen.